You're listening to Spice Radio 1200 AM, and we are speaking to Charlie Smith, the editor of Vancouver. Charlie, how are you this morning? Oh, I'm doing well. Thanks. How are you doing, Lynn Karen? I'm doing good, Charlie. It's a Friday. The sun's out, so the mood is good right now, Charlie. But, okay, I want to talk about this story this week because I found it super amusing. Um, so Ron DeSantis, he was launching his U.S. presidential campaign on the Twitter platform, but he was hit with a ton of technical glitches. This, to me, is just so strange, this whole thing. Yeah, they, they laugh about Ron DeSantis being a terrible retail politician. Well, he's turned out to be a terrible technological politician <laughs> as well. Um, he did this thing with Elon Musk, and, and that, again, was mystifying to me because Elon Musk, uh, while he's popular with the tech bros, he's also become a lightning rod for criticism over Twitter. So you're doing your campaign launch with a person who has probably higher negatives than you do, <laughs> is doesn't seem to me to be particularly shrewd. And then there were 20 minutes of technological problems. The total audience was 100, about 177,000, which is really weak. If he had done it, you know, on a on a cable news show uh, in U.S. like CNN or MSNBC or one of those Fox, he would have had two million people watching him. So he sacrificed a bunch of uh, viewers, which again uh, is not good for fundraising because the game right now is to raise as much money as you can uh, before the real fight begins. And so all things considered, it was it was a disaster, and it comes on the heels of a whole bunch of other disasters. I don't think you know the launch of a campaign is going to make or break his candidacy, but it certainly... Uh, didn't didn't uh, serve him very well at all, and also made him a big joke on on the late night talk shows. I mean, the the, the late night comedy shows, you know. Oh, certainly. And obviously, you know, a lot of people had things to say about that. But let's just see. It's only the beginning. This is going to be a long presidential race, as we know it. It's a really long process in the States. And Charlie, something else I want to talk about, more something to do with here in British Columbia. So there was this report that came out called the Food Costing in BC 2022 Report, and it assesses the affordability of healthy eating for individuals and families in the province. And according to the latest data, the average monthly cost of a nutritious diet for a family of four in BC in May and June of 2022 was $1,263 per month. Now, of course, we know with inflation, cost of food, there's been a lot of challenges. But I do think, you know, an important part of taking care of especially of our population is people being able to access healthy and good quality foods. Yeah, it's it's a serious, serious problem. And, and these food prices are galloping ahead, way ahead of of inflation. So what they are today, it, the situation could be even worse a year from now. And, and it is, it's very grim. And it's, uh, you know, even when you uh, go in, if you're Indian or Persian and you want to eat cardamom, for instance, include cardamom in your, in your food, the price of cardamom is off, off the charts. Like, I don't know if you've noticed that, but it's also having an impact in specific areas. And so the the healthy food uh, options, broccoli and spinach are two superfoods. I think spinach is one that 
is still somewhat affordable. Mm-hmm. Um, broccoli, that cauliflower bounces up and, and down and sometimes gets to astronomical I agree with prices. you there. Yeah. <laughs> and, and lettuce. I, I've given up on lettuce. Lettuce is 90%, probably more than 90% water anyway. So you're, you're paying <laughs> for, for a vegetable that's just been water that's been shipped from California. <laughs> to. So I, I would advise just dumping the lettuce altogether. But, but the superfoods, the ones that have uh, more nutritious quality like kale, broccoli, um, spinach, uh, and some of the others, um, it's, it's a challenge. And also I think one thing we're doing is eating out less and then saying, okay, if we eat out fewer times a week, um, then we can uh, you know, keep the food costs under control. I'm a privileged person. Some people can't afford to eat out at all, and um, but it's just it's it's really challenging. And I think politically, it's going to create problems for incumbents. Whether your your David Eby is looking pretty good in the polls right now, uh, he might be reelected if and when an election is held. But something like food prices, which go right to the core of people's day to day lives. Uh, can can turn into a hot issue, and and it was rising food prices, for instance, that led to the Arab Spring in 2011. And so so when food prices start shooting up, it can have political consequences. Certainly, and I think you know, Charlie, the tricky thing with this situation too is. What can governments really do with this issue? Because so much of it is like market forces out of our control. We're very much like a global world kind of thing. We're also interconnected. So do you think that's also part of the reason why it's such a hard, you know, topic to to actually figure out a solution? Yeah, we've become so reliant on food, imported food in Canada too. And and that adds to the problem because in California, for instance, as you get drought years and water shortages, they're going to keep the water for the people, you know, for drinking water, for showers, ahead of agriculture, because farms don't vote, people vote. And I read one interesting uh, book by a UCLA professor on climate and forecasting what's going to happen with the water situation in California, and what it was going to lead to is just more imported food. And so we're seeing at at a macro level, Deserts are moving north in the northern hemisphere and south in the southern hemisphere. So areas right above the deserts have been incredibly fertile. So if you think of Greece and Spain and Italy, uh, which is above the Sahara Desert, topographically, um, and the same with California, which is above the Mexican desert, as this these deserts move north and the, the, the water shortages intensify and the Colorado River is a classic example, um, that's going to create more problems for agriculture. Conversely, we're going to get more precipitation north of the border over time, and um, which offers opportunities for growing more food in Canada. And our growing season is, is longer um, now than it, than it used to be because of climate change and warmer weather. So I can see the provincial government trying to kind of crank up the 
sector. Uh, but the problem is land costs are so high. And um, But I do think that over, over time we're going to just have to grow more food and individuals are going to have to grow more food if they have the capacity to do so in their homes. And Charlie, I don't think we can also ignore the long-term impact of this on the health of uh, our Canadians, right? Or on the health of the population that we're talking about. Because when people are going for low-cost food, first of all, we had this uh, choice between organic and just the regular food. But now it's just not that choice. It's about what is healthy and what is not. So people are kind of opting for more less nutritious food, maybe more carb-heavy, less vegetables or less fruits, less berries, because that's so much more expensive. So children, our children of today, are getting really less nutritious food in most households. Yeah, and is that going to lead to more obesity, more diabetes, and more pressure on the healthcare system? Absolutely. another, Another issue, too, with these rising food costs, whether we're going to see that have an effect on family size and people, you know, they're struggling to make ends meet. Are they going to opt, perhaps not to have a second child, for instance? Um, already there are enough pressures with you know, housing costs and everything else, but um, this is just one more. Uh, and we've seen this in Japan, which is quite interesting, that with the aging population, they don't have immigration like we do in Canada, so they haven't been replacing their population. And, and what's happened is, the aging population has um, created some economic challenges and labor shortages, and that's why we're seeing a lot more, you know, robots in Japan, for instance. This is a thriving industry because they don't have enough people to do the work. Uh, but we're also seeing a rewilding of areas that were previously populated and, and a, a comeback of wildlife as the human presence diminishes somewhat. Uh, I'm not saying like this is a that this is necessarily going to happen here in Canada, but there are all sorts of consequences Certainly. when the cost of living uh, gets out of control for people. No, there definitely are. And Charlie, there was a term that Gen Z was sharing, and I'm totally forgetting what it was off the top of my mind, but they did talk about how more and more of Gen Z is embracing like a child-free life because they're saying just due to the high cost of living and having children, it's just become too expensive. So yeah, it definitely does have consequences for sure. Now finally, Charlie, before I let you go, we have been dealing with a whole lot of heat here in BC. So how do you think we've been sort of handling the situation and keeping like residents cool? Are we better about it? I think we're getting better. I think certainly there's a lot more public notification in advance. We still have the problem of, you know, massive numbers of people living without air conditioning. And and when the heat, if we really get a a bad heat dome this summer, we're going to have problems. And as I've said before on the show, with the climate crisis, you know, the flooding and the torrential rains and all of that, that causes the property damage, um, you know, the atmospheric rivers. But it's the heat waves that kill people, and the heat waves are are the most dangerous thing for people, and particularly people who are vulnerable. And it, it is uh, it is a challenge. And but I do get a sense that the public consciousness things are improving in terms of the media trying to get the message out um, governments are reacting but I don't think we're we're far from being in the clear and it could be a, a tough forest fire season wildfire season this year 
given that we've got El Nino over the Pacific, which is a, a warmer current, which leads to warmer air, so we might be in for a hot summer. Yeah, it's certainly going to be a hot one. I hope we continue to improve you in terms of preparing ourselves. Charlie, thank you so much for your time. As always, we really appreciate it. Have a wonderful weekend. Oh, my pleasure. You too. Bye.